What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to The Promised Land, a show all about Manchester United and part of the 90 Min Podcast Network. I'm Scott Saunders, joined as ever by football journalist and United season ticket holder Rob Blanchett. You can subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Google, Spotify and the likes. And you can watch us twice a week on Tuesdays and Fridays on YouTube. Uh, So head over to our channel, hit the like button, subscribe, join the community, leave a comment, etc, etc. And the link should be in the description of this episode if you're listening on audio. Rob, that uh, opening spiel, I'm starting to get quite quick at like uh, reciting that now. <laughs> um how are you today i'm good yeah it becomes programmed in the brain doesn't it where you kind of do the spiel before the show hit it and then straight into the real meat and potatoes now i'm good today and obviously we have things to talk about about a new manchester united manager very very close now we've said on our show for several weeks just hold your fire but i think we've now got to the point where we can talk about ten Hag coming to manchester united Yes, indeed. That will hopefully be... Well, it, it seems pretty much done. I think everything, bar the final dotting of the I's and crossing the T's and that kind of expression, is done. There's been a lot of talk back and forth about things like how much say Ten Hag will have in important matters, which is mm-hmm. it's quite an important thing to have for a manager, and it's not always worked out that way for United. Uh, we'll talk about that today. We'll talk about... Ten Hag and how he could potentially be leaving Ajax because could he come in as a double winner? He has a cup final this weekend. Uh, we'll talk about Darwin Nunes as well, who United, we talked about him on the last show actually, but we'll talk about him as he scored a goal at Anfield in midweek as Benfica were eliminated from the Champions League by Liverpool. Uh, but he is likely to be on the move and United are obviously keeping tabs. Uh, we'll talk about him. We'll talk about how he might potentially fit into an Eric Ten Hag system. And we'll also talk about Paul Pogba and potentially some news on Luke Shaw as well about missing the rest of the season. Uh, we'll get into that later in the show. But a reminder, you can follow us on Twitter at underscore Scott Saunders for me, at underscore Rob underscore B for Rob, and at PromiseLandMU for the show. Um, Rob, let's, let's start with Ten Hag then, because as it stands, it obviously we kind of know the situation by now. United have four candidates, shortlisted to two. Uh, they've spoken to people about, you know, who would be the right manager, but it always seemed to be that Ten Hag was at the edge or in, in the front of the race. And then 
over the last few days and weeks. Ten Hag's emerged as the main candidate and United have obviously been speaking to him in order to get him in for the for the summer transfer window so he can he can hit the ground running essentially so um now it looks as though everything is nearly done it's just a case of obviously there's signatures to do and this kind of thing uh we don't exactly know when that could be but i think i well, i've heard myself that ix might just they're kind of the club that just want to put it to one side because they banned uh press conference questions for his pre-match uh, game against PSG in the cup final, PSV in the cup final. They ban questions about his future completely. Uh, so they just want to concentrate on that game and they'll want to concentrate on the title race, which they are in charge of at the moment from PSV by four points. Uh, but we'll talk about the finer details throughout the course of this conversation. But what's your initial reaction to the fact that it is looking now like a matter of time? It's almost a done deal. Um, when I say almost, let's not be kind of playing, you know, journalist on this. I think it's more of a case that he wanted certain guarantees. And last week, that was the kind of information we were fed through. And it was a case that he wanted to know what his true power structure would be like at Manchester United. Is he going to come in and be a patsy and be someone that's blamed for everything that's going on? Or will he have true power? So Manchester United have agreed to his terms, you know, the demands that he met in terms of his own control. And I think that now he seems very buoyant about taking on this job. So there'll be no issue with wages. I think also one of the other sticking points for the present time was how Ajax wanted to approach this. And it seems that Ajax has completely given their blessing and they, there's no kind of weirdness between the two clubs. Manchester United, obviously very keen to announce him, uh, to at least be able to put that out in the press and maybe do something more official closer to the end of the season. But as you said there, Ajax have got uh, a League and Cup double on the burn. And that's going to be really important to him, I think, for his CV coming to England and to be this successful manager, someone that's won trophies. So does that mean that Manchester United will be great next year or he's going to be a success? Of course not. But I do think on the first footing, and maybe this is something that maybe Pochettino didn't have before, is that he will have this success and these trophies on him as he arrives. So that's really important. But I think we're there now. I think that since the the Ajax themselves are kind of confirming that he is definitely leaving, Manchester United are the front runners. The the Bundesliga chat has evaporated. There's no real chat there about him going to Germany now, like there was maybe two or three weeks ago. Um, and it looks like Eric Ten Hag will be the next manager of Manchester United. From uh, from what I've been told, there's a lot of hot air. Um, <laughs> there might obviously there will be interest, and Ten Hag has worked in Germany before, and probably would like to manage in the Bundesliga at some point. But you know, when United come along like this, and their stock is as low as it is, it's not been this low for a long, long time. Let's just say that. So he's coming in at a good time in terms of the upside is really there. How much farther? How much farther can they fall? Mm-hmm. Oh, they never surprise us, do they? So maybe they could fall further, but <laughs> it, it might be some pain for the next, even under Ten Hag, the next year or two, 18 months or something like that. Because as we're going to talk about today or in future shows, there's a lot of addressing to do with players going out and coming in and, and this kind of stuff. It could be as many as, well, there's four or five players out of contract this summer. There's other players that are in there who aren't getting a look in who probably should leave and have outstayed their welcome. But United, um, we, we outlined on 90min.com uh, in our reporting of this uh, over the last few weeks that United wanted to get this wrapped up by Easter 
internally. And it, it does seem like obviously we're going into Good Friday and Easter Monday and Easter Sunday uh, in the next few days. So it does seem like the timing's pretty bang on. Although I have been like, we we did hear that he could even sign the deal on Monday, but I'm kind of looking at United's next fixtures and thinking, would United really want to announce it on Monday and then get battered by Liverpool on the Tuesday and then <laughs> not have anything to kind of lift them up a bit? And maybe, maybe next Wednesday, I'm just going to, that's no, no intel on that. I'm just going to, predict that just off the top of my head because I think I can see United losing to Liverpool at Anfield even though Rob you you think that they could spring a surprise but yeah uh so it looks like a three-year deal for Ten Hag with an option for a fourth um and obviously control on transfers and in- incomings outgoing contract renewals are all really important because he's going to need that because the squad is a mess we've already talked on previous episodes about this being a squad of four or five managers making how can you do anything with that he's going to need to imprint his stamp on this team and uh, we'll talk about Darwin Nunes in a little bit but Rob how important is the fact that Ten Hag is going to have a major input into what United do it's everything because I think that Manchester United are looking at the marketplace and seeing how successful teams are doing it and the way you do it is by having several people with knowledge helping you make the core football decisions. So we're talking from board level down to player level. You know, you have to have that leadership, that spine. Like, you know, when we talk about football, when we talk about the goalkeeper, the centre-back, the central midfielder, the centre-forward and the spine of your team. Well, in modern football, you need a director of football, a sporting overlord, someone that works on transfers, a manager who actually coaches all of this, you need that spine. Man United have not really had that. The closest they got to it was in recent times with Ole and Solskjaer. So they tried to move towards that system. And Ole did get consulted on many, many things. The key of it is with Solskjaer was that he wasn't consulted on the biggest deal last summer, which was obviously the icon returning to the football club. That was not something, you know, now he gave his blessing to it because who wouldn't want Ronaldo? But it wasn't really the plan from the season before. Excuse me, I've got a little bit of hay fever today. The sun. Is oh no, me. it's caught you already. Yeah, it's got me already. It's had me for a couple of days. You know, you. No, it, no voice. way. Yeah. Like I'm so, getting with me. It's it's getting later each year. So if you want to jinx it, I'm going to touch wood. That, but so, so, so if you see if you see me crying on camera here, it's not because I'm so delighted that Manchester United have finally made a decision about something. Uh, then again, it might well be. But I think when you look at the the whole Ten Hag appointment, it's really really important now that Man United gets their proverbials together to, uh, as a unit because th- this transfer window as you just said there lots of players potentially leaving but what does a Ten Hag Manchester United look like you know it's not going to be like Ajax it's not going to be exactly the same but he's going to want a highly coached squad that's what he does so we're going to see that the players I think that remain are going to be the ones that can be coached that's how he's going to view it. And the ones that don't give him an upside and are, are maybe the individual players or the players that kind of just, you know, come in and out of the team, Scott, you know, kind of hit or miss, he will want to move those on. He will want consistency in his starting eleven, And that starts the day he arrives. You know, so it will take time to fix all of these problems at Manchester United. But the first transfer window, I think, is vital for him because he needs to bring in a core group, you know, a striker, a central midfielder or two, maybe another defender, maybe another fullback. And then we start the project. You don't start it 
six months down the line. You don't start it the day pre-season begins. You start it now. And I think this is why United fans should start getting a little bit excited because that is already low. We know those conversations are happening and we know that he's already given direction to the board. Just to play devil's advocate for a second um, and maybe look at, maybe devil's advocate's the wrong the wrong way to, to kind of refer to this, but we're all expecting some kind of max pain, right? Hmm. So we're going through it now. We're not expecting Ten Hag to pull up any trees and immediately lift the team further forward. However, talking about coaching there and how in, how much of an impact and in, like how in, how much importance Ten Hag puts on improving players and coaching them properly. When was the last time United had a coach who improved their players? How long has that been? Because Van Gaal tried to do it with a, with his own system. Mourinho tried to, you know, sit back and absorb, hit, hit counter-attack. Solskjaer the same, and he was criticised a lot of the time for not really getting... Obviously, we saw, like, lifts in certain players, but that was more down to, I think, the attitude that they had not mm-hmm. tactical instruction. Mm-hmm. When was the last time United's players were, quote, improved to that point? And how could we see, in that sense, an uplift quite quickly? Well, in modern terms of coaching, you could say... Never. And what do I mean by that? So with under uh, Sir Alex Ferguson, Sir Alex wasn't really a huge tactician. He certainly had tactics. He knew how he wanted to play. He know how he knew the philosophy and the demands and what he wanted. And every player had to adhere to those things. But let's be honest, when you moved into the new era of Manchester United, the one where you're not winning trophies through that period of kind of several years, eight, nine years now, you haven't really had the acute tactical coaching that let's say Liverpool have had or City have had, or let's kind of even fall down the tree. Brighton have had, you know, these teams have gone that route. They've looked at it and they've gone, you need a coach with a philosophy who can drill it into his players day in, day out, and you get success from that. So that's where football has moved and shifted. And Manchester United have stood still. There's coaches you just mentioned. Van Gaal is a tactical coach but I think couldn't acclimatise to the Premier League. He found that very difficult in terms of the pace. I think Mourinho was on the wane. We hoped we were getting the one that had won the title year before, but we didn't. So that kind of fell away. I think when you look at the Solskjaer period, Solskjaer tried to expand the backroom with coaches. That's what he tried to do. And he wasn't a great individual coach himself, but they were looking at the modern game. And I think what you found was that towards the end of his tenure, they just got stuck in a rut. 4 2 3 one double pivots. We're not quite sure how to make this better. And they got as far as they could. They got second in the league and got to a European final. This time last year, Scott, we are in a European final. So you just said there, how quickly can things change? So I've spoken to coaches over many, many years, and they all say a very similar thing to me. And that is it takes six weeks with a bunch of players, new players, when you go into a football club to get put anything into their brains about how you want to play. The first week, second week, third week's all about fitness about adherment, teaching, and a kind of process of learning. That's exactly what this manager will do. He'll come in and he will immediately imprint his philosophy on the team. Now, will we get an immediate uplift? I think we might do, because I think players are refreshed by those things. So everything we're seeing now that's negative, you might see that there's several players that we don't rate today, Scott, and we go, six weeks with Ten Hag over the summer and into the new season. They look like brand new footballers. And that's happened so many times in football. I think it'll be more like Klopp. Klopp took a year to really turn things around. Guardiola took a year 
I think we have to give Ten Hag that kind of time frame. Will we be playing better football on the opening day of the season? I think we will be. I think if you've got a proper coach who can spend time with these boys, you could get an immediate uplift. And of course, what would that do to Man United fans? They will be hugely buoyed by what they see if their team can play anything like a modern style of football. Even if it's just a few patterns here and there, these things kind of starting to emerge. Passing the ball five yards. Pa- you know, passing the ball successfully. Yeah, mm. like, you know, centre-backs being able to play out from the back, you know, full-backs running up and down and overlapping, a striker that looks dangerous in the box, you know, a number 10 that floats and does all the trekkerista bits. This is the thing, we just want to see basics. And if you get basics, you can then go to the next level. Uh, I can remember when Klopp uh, took Liverpool over and they came eighth or seventh for that first season, and lots of people said the same thing. They look good going forward but they looked like a colander at the back, looked like a sieve. And that's how it was for 18 months. And what did he do? He went and got Allison. he went and got Van Dijk, and he fixed it. But he also went and got Robertson, someone that people were like, who is this guy for 8 million quid from Hull? That's the kind of signings I think we're going to see with Ten Hag. He will find little gems in the rough, Scott, but he'll also bring in really good players and create a good team very, very quickly. But then it's about the development and the expectation around that. And of course, some under 23s players or potentially, you know, there's a lot of players on the on the periphery or pushing for a, a place in the squad, in the first team squad, because they're excelling at youth level. Uh, we've talked about them in previous weeks. Mm-hmm. We've seen uh, Hannibal Medjbury uh, in training this week with United. He hasn't really had his chance yet. I'm kind nope. of looking at it thinking, as much as I'd like to see him now, don't imprint the bad habits on him. Just get rid of it. Just get rid of this season and we'll see where he goes and he can start fresh next season. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. United have a lot of options. If they do end up letting, let's say, 10 players go, then they could backfill a few of those positions with youth players and a few additions. United squad is quite big as it is anyway, so they don't necessarily need as many players as they have. Um, and we'll see how it goes. But Rob, uh, another question for you. We When the Ten Hag links first emerged... Uh, it was months ago now. We kind of questioned, is this too big a jump for him? Mm-hmm. You know, is this, do you not think he needs to go to a Tottenham first or a kind of club like that? Is this, uh, returning to this question now, and maybe we are a bit clouded in the excitement in, in a sense, but how big a jump is this? And is he the right man for the job? Well, this is this is the biggest jump in the world for any coach. You know, let's not undersell what Manchester United is and also where Man United are. So, you know, for Ten Hag, and this is the whole thing about football in general, Scott, is that whenever you go to a big club, whether you're a player or a manager or whoever, that expectation gets loaded on your shoulders and fans immediately expect to see results or see something different, at least, don't they? Like we've just said there, can you pass a ball five yards? So the expectations for Ten Hag are pretty low. He can come in, I think. And it's not the same, I think, when Mourinho turned up and took over from Van Gaal. You knew then it was going to be a big, sparkling Galactico project. You're going to go and get Pogba, you get Ibrahimovic, you go and get all these kind of more kind of shiny, exciting players. I think what we need to see from Ten Hag is that he has that balance of signings. And I think he'll do that. So is it a big job for him? Absolutely. You know, there's no comparison between Manchester United and Ajax in terms of the global outlook for a coach or what a team is supposed to do. Manchester United are the New York Yankees, as I said before, of football. And you need to win. The expectation is you win. But it doesn't mean you do always win. (laughs) That's the point. So I think that Ten Hag comes in in a good space because there isn't going to be that initial pressure 
course, if you lose games, we'll talk about it. We'll say, you know, does this look good? Does it not look good? But I think he wants this, this pressure. I think he wants a challenge like this. In negotiations over the last few weeks, Scott, and obviously keeping tabs on all of those things, it was really interesting to see what his outlook on a job was. You know, was he looking for Ajax 2.0, which would have been a team like Leipzig or someone like that, you know, a kind of a system that's got a holistic background, blah, 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 blah. Or did he want to be the fulcrum of change at a football club? That's what he wants. He wants to go to Man United and say, this is my team. This is my club. Now, that's the kind of coach I want, Scott. You know, I've always said I've, I have doubts about him as an individual because I think he has to prove it. But I've got no more doubts about him than I have about, you know, Zinedine Zidane, who's won three Champions Leagues. I really haven't. So I'd rather have a coach that coaches players and that you grow it organically from the ground up. And in terms of the managers that are on the market and, mm-hmm. you know, maybe the other one you could say, like Luis Enrique is not on the market mm-hmm. at the moment. He's got a World Cup with Spain coming up. But I think he would be the other one really who has stock quite as high as Ten mm-hmm. Hag at the moment, who is available, because I think we all know where the best managers in the world are, and that is not at Manchester United, but in the Premier League with uh, with some rivals. But yeah, um, the excitement's building. Uh, we'll mm-hmm. see what he can bring to the table. Can he bring potential new signings to the table? Uh, I would imagine we'll see a few. Um, but one that we've talked about this week uh, and has made an impression again in the Champions League this week is Darwin Nunes. So. Benfica played Liverpool at Anfield in the Champions League on Wednesday night. And Nunes scored in a 3-3 draw on the night. Also scored in the return leg, which was last week. So is this a kind of passing of the audition on a Premier League ground against a defence that, while not at full strength last night, um, you know, doesn't really concede that many goals? Did he, has, he done, has he shown United that he can do it? Well, 32 goals and up until this uh, recording today for our show in this season. And the way he scores goals, you know, the kind of goals he scores, I think that means that, yes, he's passed that audition. So uh, it kind of reminds me in many ways, we're looking at kind of a Dutch uh, ma- uh, manager coming into a squad. I kind of remember when Ruud van Nistelrooy was uh, on, the, on the agenda and people were talking about him. And even though he'd done well at PSV, it's kind of a little bit, bit like Nunes at Benfica saying, well, he is good. He does score goals at domestic level. But what does he bring to your team? You know, will he bring that that point of the attack? Now, for obviously, you know, Sir Alex Ferguson's team is much more established than uh, Ten Hag's will be. But he needs to go and get a striker, Scott, that does all of those striker things. The forward things dips in and out, helps the play build up. People said about Darwin Nunes, oh no, he's not technical. He's a bit more like Lukaku in the sense that he's a bit of a straight line runner. I don't think that's true. I think that he's got many kind of different skill sets available to him and he can play different systems, but he is a, he's not your ultra fast running straight through the middle type striker. But I think we're seeing a change away from that is that strikers now need to almost be attacking midfielders, be able to play in the channel, be able to not necessarily get behind their defender, but help the build up to get through the back four. So he is that kind of player. I'm very enthused about him. We know Manchester United do really like him. And after the, you know, the the audition, as you called it, at Anfield, I think that he's kind of at the top of the list. He will be very much a type of striker that Ten Hag will be looking towards. What do you think makes him that type of striker? Because we saw his goal at Anfield. 
And you mentioned Ruben van Nistelrooy there. I kind of did see a lot of the way he kind of took that goal. He kind of opened his body mm. up a little bit and put it into the far corner. Saw a little bit of van Nistelrooy in that. He's young, hungry, and intelligent. That's what I want. I want every footballer that comes to Man United to adhere to that. Because I think the thing is, over the last couple of years, we, there was a, a framework, wasn't there, that Man United need more experience. Man United needs to go and get players that have done it. Man United needs to go and get the players that have won Champions League and know what it's what it means to win. I think what we've seen under Ralph Ranjik, and I think Ralph has admitted this and said it over and over again, is that you need hunger. You need desire. You need players on their first big contract. You know, Darwin Nunes would know coming to Manchester United what it what it meant. You know, making that step up. You know, obviously Bruno Fernandes made that step up from Sporting. You know, coming from Portugal, it's a completely different kettle of fish coming from Portugal Portugal to the Premier League. But I think again, he's the type of player that would relish it. That he would want to be in that scenario. And I think United have maybe bought players over the last two or three years that maybe just don't fancy it or plays within the football club that you think have a bigger ceiling. The truth is their ceiling's a lot lower than we think. So that is the balance again, where you need to go and make this work. You can look at someone like Haller at, uh, at Ajax and he might even look at someone like Haller, bringing him back to the Premier League and say, no, he's the perfect player I want at the point of my attack. Will that excite Man United fans? Absolutely not. They'll mm. be like, we don't want West Ham rejects, but if it works for the system, and he can score you goals and he can help you. So be it. But I think that uh, Darwin is a, is a kind of player we're going to hear a lot more about in the weeks ahead. And I think that United are looking at that profile of player, young, hungry, first huge contract. He fits the mould. Obviously, we talked there about, uh, or we've mentioned players who have moved from Portugal uh, to the Premier League. You think of Bruno Fernandes, who... While he's not in a good moment currently, I don't think you can deny that overall he's been a good signing for United. He's made a big impact, although that is waning now. There's still upside with him. Bernardo Silva at City, uh, Ruben Diaz at Man City. There's there's tons of... Luis Diaz, who's just gone to Liverpool, has already made a big impression. So it's not necessarily the biggest... It is a step up, but it's not necessarily like this is a league that can't... You, the players coming from it can't cut it in leagues that they they move to, you know, there's a good, there's a good recent history of players leaving top Portuguese teams and hitting the ground running at whichever club they join, especially Premier League clubs. Um, but question there on Nunes again, we've spoken about Ronaldo. It seems like we, we're going to have to speak about Ronaldo quite frequently, but what, what needs to happen? Can, can you have both? I mean, Ronaldo's going to probably, even though he's 37, will turn 38 next season. If he does stay at United, is he going to demand that he starts every game or is Ten Hag going to have to be powerful enough and will he be given enough power to say, even if Ronaldo does stay, you can't start every game because you don't suit my system or does he have to leave? Well, this is why it was so important that it was established how much power Ten Hag had because the reason why Ole Gunnar Solskjaer lost his job was that he was told to play the shirt seller. So again, we can kind of revise history and talk about Ronaldo and say that a manager might have gone up to Cristiano and said, you're not starting this week. But we knew with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and to an extent Ralph Ranić that Cristiano had the power. I think after this season, that power will dissipate. So even if he stays at the football club for one more year, I think it will be made crystal clear to him that there is no first choice here. This is going to be a team effort. And if that means you sit on the bench, Cristiano, you know, for a couple of weeks now, and then you'll have to deal with it. 
Or, of course, what's the other option, Scott? Is that he goes, no, I'm not into that at all. I don't want to do that. I'm not interested in the squad system. I'm not interested in being highly coached. You know, I want to do what I do. So I'm off. And then Man United have to make that decision, don't they? And say, right, well, we need to find a buyer. We need to get him out of the football club. And that's really, really important. You know, we talk a lot about poisonous elements at Manchester United. And I think it gets overplayed. I don't think that it's a dressing room that's highly toxic. But I do think it's a a dressing room that's just completely disorganised. Doesn't have leadership. Doesn't have a kind of core of heat in there that keeps you going week after week after week where players look at each other and just know through through their eyes. It's, it's an expectation. People look at Ronaldo and I don't think they think, yeah, I've got to run my socks off for this guy. I don't think they do. But you know what? Darwin Nunes might come in and be part of that cultural change. You might get three or four new players who come in and say, no, we're here for our opportunity. We want to win. And Cristiano, I'm going to out-train you. I'm going to show the coach that I should start ahead of you. I'm going to hit that top corner week after week after week in training and you're going to watch me and you're not going to be able to deny me. So I think that's kind of where we stand with it. I think that now the manager, I'm going to start calling him the manager. Now the manager will be in place and he will have that choice and that power. I don't think that looks good for Cristiano. You know, he's not going to be able to change. He's getting older. He's finding the Premier League a tough gig. Um, I think he might stay still for another year, but it will be that, um, like almost like Kobe Bryant in his final season in the NBA, it will be that tour of duty of going around and waving to people for a year before he retires. Do you know what I mean? And I think that Cristiano, uh, I don't think he'll completely retire, but I do think that this will be the end of his top-line career in Europe. Even It's probably even smart for him. I'm not saying that like maybe his ego is, is too big to tolerate sitting on the bench. Maybe he'll want to go and play in another league, maybe you want to go back to Portugal or something like that. But you look at other players, like I know Fernandinho said this week, he's leaving Man City, but he's mm. a similar age. Thiago Silva is a similar age. You know, they're different positions, but they don't play every game. And you they're can't. still considered, yeah. like when they do play, they're like, oh, wow, what an impact he's made. Yeah, I said on last week's show about Cristiano, and this is kind of, again, from our sourcing, is that he, you know, he is keen to stay in England, but obviously he's not going to go anywhere but Manchester United. He's not going to go to another football club in England. But he's also quite keen on going back to Portugal for the sense that he's never really played in a Portuguese league. You know, we took him when he was a boy. So he's never had that that career to see the Portuguese fans at club level. Now, of course, over the last 10 years, that's not been something he's interested in. He wants to win trophies, Real Madrid, Manchester United, Juventus. That's been his M.O. But now, of course, going back to one of the Portuguese giants could be a nice little gig for him for a couple of years. If he gets the wage he wants and he gets the kind of Maybe, again, being the figurehead of a team, I think he would enjoy that. And I think he'd enjoy being at home. You know, he's got, you know, this is the whole thing about his family and feeling, you know, close to his family. Is it something that he would like to to kind of reaffirm at the end of his career? I think that that is the case. And it could well be that we see an amicable split between Manchester United and, and Ronaldo, that it's just a, it didn't work. Thanks for coming back for a year. We're moving on as a football club and we'll help you move on too. The important thing is, I think, and we've established this on the show already in this episode, that Ten Hag must have the input to be able to use whichever player he thinks is fit and no player is untouchable because we've seen over the past year or so that, and for a long time, to be honest, that player power has been the dominant thing. They've often overpowered managers. You think of Jose Mourinho's reign and obviously he wanted complete full control. That's how he works. He couldn't get rid of Martial. You saw the the reaction that Paul... I always remember as soon as Mourinho was sacked and then Paul Pogba put out an Instagram post, whether it was connected or not, but it seemed to really marry up that Mourinho had brought everybody down to such a level 
that when the players kind of saw him leave, they were like, oh, wow, let's uh, let's rise again. Uh, but Ten Hag, he, there's obviously a problem here with the players. They have not been put in their all in this season. There's no question about that. He needs the power to clear out whoever he wants and he needs that trust because otherwise he's just going to have the same fate as every other manager that United have tried to employ in the last nine years or so. Um, and talking about Pogba there, um, obviously he's out of contract in a few weeks. No decision has been made on his future yet. He's been linked with PSG this week. Juventus won him. Real Madrid with Luka Modric's performance this last week in the Champions League with that amazing pass uh, to Rodrigo. Still has life. Still, still has uh, plenty left in the tank, so it seems. Uh, Real Madrid did seem like one of Pogba's you know, destinations, but maybe that's kind of drying out a little bit. PSG and Juventus are still in the frame as well. But that's not to say that he's decided to actually leave United yet. We, we kind of think that he might. But could Ten Hag use him? I think he could. Absolutely could he use him. Like You, you know, this is the whole thing about Paul Pogba and... There are half-truths about the player and there are, you know, potential upsides of what you do if you keep him. <clears throat> I do think United fans get way too obsessed with how much he earns, how many posts he do he does on, on social media, uh, how, what his haircut is this week, you know, what is Paul Pogba doing to us today? But is Paul Pogba a good footballer? Yes. Is Paul Pogba a world-class midfielder at his best? Yes. If you give him the tactics, can he be better? Yes. Does he need the leadership at the very, very top from a coach that can make him this superstar that we know that he already is? You know, can he help United go and win trophies? Yes. These are all positives. So I, I think the 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 stopgap for Paul Pogba has always been two things in the sense that he offered his services to United early in this contract negotiation. He said he would like to stay. So if United wanted to have got that done, Scott, a year ago, they could have got it done. They didn't. They were the ones worried about his injury record and whether they would give get value for money from him on the football pitch. Of course, Paul Pogba still sells shirts, you know, until the cows come home. So he's still a superstar. He's still a top player. If you replace him, what do you replace him with? So this is what Ten Hag will have to do now. Ten Hag's going to have to sit down with Paul Pogba and say, if you stay at my football club, because it's his football club now, this is what I expect. I don't think Paul Pogba will have a problem with that. I think Paul Pogba wants to win. And if he's convinced by the project, I think there's every chance he still signs a new deal. But I do think he'll probably get a PSG. That's my own kind of feeling on it. And that is because I think when things go quiet, it normally means stuff is happening. And stuff has gone quiet. And I, are you going to get a big Man United announcement where Paul Pogba signs a brand new deal? You might do. You know, Ten Hag signs, Pogba signs. You know, the boys are back in town. Here we go. But I'm not so sure. I think that he's looked at United over six years and thought they've let me down. They might think I've let them down, but I'm, you know, I've got to get on with my life. So I think that he'll probably go to another football club. Uh, Pogba did say in his recent interview, I think it was in the international break, where the season is dead essentially. But he also said yeah. something along the lines of, "Well, I played at six, I played at eight, I played at ten, I played on the left. Yeah, but I've never had a, a solid position. I think if you look at, there's not as many play, there's not many players in the world in his position as talented as Paul Pogba is mm -hmm. like you say he just needs a bit of guidance and that kind of thing but like how many times has Paul Pogba been sold the same kind of line what makes him think it think it's any different this time I could I, I wouldn't say I rule it out at all um but yeah I kind of do expect him to leave as well but another question I want to follow up on this with and it might be unfair to Pogba but is signed for 90 million 89 million or whatever in 2016 it's been your six years 
Is he the emblem of failure for that period? I think for some United fans, he's absolutely the emblem of failure. But I think that's completely and wholly unfair on him because this has never been about one player. In the same way that Cristiano coming to the club wasn't really ever about one player, but we kind of made it about it. You know, the the board position themselves to to put the stars forward and, and to kind of blame everything except themselves. Talking about Paul Pogba there in terms of his position and just to add on to that, um, you know, in that interview, he was talking about his career at United. And what happened was that that got spun to Ralph Ranick in a press conference that it was about now. He wasn't talking about now. He was talking about the last six years. And you're right. So I think when you look at uh, Mourinho, he wanted to play higher up the pitch. Mourinho wanted to play him as a six, played much deeper. You, we didn't get the best out of him. We could see that. He was never really let off the leash. I think with Ole and Solskjaer, we saw at times that Ole found a way to have him higher up the pitch to be more influential get more assists, get more goals. But again, six one week, floating eight the next week, 10 minutes at number 10, then drop him back. And he's just been used as a versatile player. You need to make Paul Pogba the heartbeat of your midfield. Yeah, he needs to be the metronome. And United have never done that. And that's what Paul Pogba wants. Paul Pogba wants to be the centrepiece with a, with a number of very, very good players around him and to help a team win, because I think that's all that he's motivated by. I don't think he cares about Instagram posts. I don't think he cares about haircuts. The fact that he does all those things means nothing. What means more is the tactics that we see and the way that this team plays together as a unit. Yes, and obviously he is very decorated as a player as well. He came from Juventus having won a bunch of league titles. He's won the World Cup with France as a starting midfielder and one of the most important players in that team. And at club level, it's just not been the same during his time at United. So, you know, I, I personally think Pogba's been missold by United, and I think that's the that's the point of blame. Obviously, he's he, he did, he's in line for some blame because he hasn't always performed to his maximum. But United yeah. have failed him. But I think there's a there was a point here when Paul Pogba could have stamped his feet and demanded to leave. So when Lukaku left the club, when Alexis Sanchez left the club, that was a period where United were kind of going, oh, we've bought badly again. What do we do here? How do we clear this wage bill out? So they could have got rid of Paul Pogba. But Paul Pogba said, no, I want to stay. I want to fight. I want to, I want to carry on this project. You know, I've heard again that Paul Pogba didn't like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. That's absolutely not what we've heard from his camp. Not at all. You know, he was willing to work with that manager. So I think with, with Pogba, he's never been a player that managers have had problems with, even Jose Mourinho. So even at that period when Mourinho was maybe cracking the whip, he was kind of doing that with 10 players anyway. It wasn't just Pogba, but of course Pogba sells. Pogba's the guy that everyone wants to talk about. So I think for him, he will, whatever he does next, for him, it will be about winning. He's at the end of his career in terms of his aging, you know, in terms of uh, being a big contract piece. You know, he's going to get paid wherever he goes. He can go and play anywhere. He's going to get a lot of money, but he wants trophies, Scott. That's what he wants. He will only stay at Man United if, he, if he's got a chance of winning the Premier League. Now, we think that's far off, don't we? But internally, if Manchester United get it right with Ten Hag, get it right with two or three signings, bring in a really good midfielder to play with Pogba, there's every chance Paul Pogba says, let's give it a go. Give me a three-year deal. And in 18 months, if it, if, it, if it isn't working, I will stamp my feet and ask to leave the football club. And I think that's kind of where we stand with it. Again, if you get rid of Pogba, you've got to find someone who's as good as him or can help you win more than what you've currently got. 
Yeah, as far as we uh, as far as we know, no injury problems with Pogba at the moment. He should end up being in the squad for the game against Norwich and United play Liverpool away in, on Tuesday next week. So he could well feature in that as well. One player who won't, though, is Luke Shaw, who uh, has gone in for surgery on some, I think, believe it's related to some screws in his leg uh, mm-hmm. following an injury. Obviously, we all know the injury Luke Shaw picked up against PSV several years ago. He's not really, he's had a lot of trouble coming back from that and has performed in spells, but he's not performed this season. Suggestions are that were initially that Ralph said, Ralph Rannick said that he could miss two or three weeks, and that was like last weekend, but now there's suggestions he could miss the rest of the season as well. So uh, he will not be featuring against Norwich. Luke Shaw, though, he strikes me as another player, tying it into a positive that, if he can get this injury behind him now, um, work his way back to fitness and come back for preseason. Obviously, the Premier League season starts in early, early August next year because of the World Cup, which is right in the middle of it in November, December. He, I think he, he strikes me as a player who we could really see an uplift in Luke Shaw's form. I think, again, Luke Shaw is at his best when he has good direction. So when he has bad direction from, say, like Jose Mourinho or someone like that, you can see it in the way he plays. It's not there. But I think last year, Odegaard Solskjaer, one of the big success stories of, of Ole's tenure at Man United was Luke Shaw, to be able to take a player who's got the talent and to give him an upside and to get him to where he needs to be. So last year, you know, we could talk about this season until we're blue in the face and we could say to every player on the team has failed to an extent, to a level. There's not one player that you can say has been absolutely brilliant in what they do. Maybe David De Gea at the very most, but again, you know, not particularly good feet. That's a problem. But I think with Luke Shaw, he's had injuries this year and there've been all sorts of injuries. There've been like two concussions, first day of the season, he pulled a muscle that that uh, definitely influenced his form early in the campaign. And now we're seeing that he's having an issue with, the, as you said, they're the screws that he had from the 2015 leg break that he had under Louis van Gaal. And again, that was a time, wasn't it? Just a, that leg break came at the top of his form for Man United. And obviously that wiped out a huge part of his career. But we saw enough last year, Scott, to, sh- to see that he is still a top player at his very best. You know, last year, I'd go as far to say that he was the best left back in Europe. So if he was the best left back in Europe, it's up to you to create the conditions that they can do it year after year. You know, we've just been talking about Paul Pogba and his position. You need to help players. And Man United just have not done that. They've not helped anyone, have they? They've tried to change stuff but it's always been on the fly. It's always been a little bit bodged. But I have faith in Luke Shaw. I think the best thing to do, give him now time off, get him ready for pre-season. He doesn't need to be part of this for the rest of the campaign. And, Don't blame uh, him, really. <laughs> but, but, this is it. Do you know what I mean? Like He has a, like in five individual injuries this year, and I think COVID. So, you know, it, it's people will say, oh, he's injury prone. I wouldn't say he's injury prone. I think when you look at it, there's there's been issues in the past, but you can't get rid of every player as well, Scott. This is the whole point. You need to keep some of your talent and build around it and kind of tweak it as you go along. Luke Shaw, for me, would not be the first player out the door. I agree with that. I think he can, Ten Hag can really work with him. There's not loads of players that I can really see being here in the next three, four years, but I think Shaw is probably one. I think he's like 26, something like 26. 26, 26 something like that. So there is still time for him. He's been around forever. United signed him when he was a teenager, I think, and obviously... Spells of good form, spells of injuries and not so good form as well over the course of that time. But, you know, there is uh, potential there, which has, ne- which has only been t- 
touched, you know, like hitting the glass mm. ceiling kind of thing. We've never really broken through it for a long period of time. But yeah, we'll see how it goes. Luke Shaw will not play against Norwich on Saturday, 3 p.m. Will United win that, Rob? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I think Norwich need it more than Man United. Yeah. I think going into the end of the season. Um, I've had very low expectations for the whole of the kind of running now, especially I think when Manchester United got knocked out of the Champions League. You know, you saw that, didn't you, against Atletico Madrid. You saw what they did against Manchester City. You know, Man United could have beaten that Atletico team. They really could have done. If they'd actually just got their finger out, they could have beaten that Atletico team. And they didn't. So I think that as soon as that happened, the season was going to go south. And we're just seeing that in the general performances. I don't expect to see anything good against Norwich, I'm afraid to say. But you've got Liverpool coming up. And it would not be surprised if that's the last hurrah. You know, this team kind of goes, we're about to get broken up. So we're going to go out there and play like madmen because we'd love to get one over Liverpool. Or what might you might see? You might just see them lay down and die because that's kind of the DNA of this team. So difficult to know, Scott, what we're going to see. But I think what we will see definitely going forward and into next season is that Manchester United become a highly coached unit with some hungry, fresh players. And we should all be excited by that. You would hope that United's players are motivated, speaking about the Liverpool game, to put a final dent in the fact that Liverpool are on for a quadruple. You'd expect them to go to the Champions League final. They're in they're one point behind Man City. They're in the FA Cup semi-finals this weekend. If they end up doing the quadruple and this makes even this even puts the treble win in Man United in the dust. That is the final straw, and it could literally not get any worse than that. So, if, if there's any, you know, going to Anfield, turning them over, and doing that atmosphere and that uh, amazing record they have there in front of their own fans, would be a nice way to go out, even in, if it has been an era of failure. Totally. In years gone by, a Manchester United team that maybe didn't have a good season would have gone to Anfield with that objective in mind: we are going to stop Liverpool getting what they want. But can you see it 100% with this team? The answer, unfortunately, is no, because they all live in their heads, in their little bubble and in their little clouds, and they don't actually apply certain <laughs> ethics on a football pitch. But that doesn't mean they can't do it. That's, this is why I'm saying it's not a complete no. And as I said, if this is like Ronaldo's last hurrah at Man United, say those decisions are being made now and he's got a, a limited period at the football club, you can see him going out and having the game of his life and scoring goals and Man United having a big upset here. But at the same time, I think for us as fans as well, we need to look way forward, way above the rest of the season now. We need to look towards pre-season. We need to look to the transfer market because I think this is how Man United will fix themselves in the short term and also the long term. But yeah, it's a it's a sad state of affairs watching Liverpool and City excel. But do you know what, Scott? They deserve it. Mm-hmm. They've built it and they've built it over a long period of time. Klopp's in what, year six now? You know, that's how long it takes to be this good. It takes years. So United fans, yes, have expectations for the new manager and for Eric Ten Hag and the Eric Ten Hag future of this football club. You know, someone who could lead us to the promised land. There's the buzzword again. Uh, That's where the name comes from. (laughs) That's where it comes from. And this is what we're hoping. This is what we're looking for. And every manager that comes to Man United, whether it be Ten Hag or a future one or going forward, that has always got to be the remit. That's the agenda. Take this club back to where it needs to be. But it takes time. United were also beaten 5-0 in the reverse game against Liverpool. I was there, yes. (laughs) I remember it. And do you know, before the game, I remember sitting there with people around me and saying, I think we might get beaten 
like several goals today. And people were like, oh, no, no, no. And when Liverpool put the opening in and they just sliced through United, I sat there thinking, this is going to be a complete disaster today to the point where it'll be like a historical result. And when the fifth goal went in, we all just were like... Yeah, I was early this. in the second half though as well, wasn't it? it was I was horrid. kind of, they, kind of they, looking at it thinking, how much worse can it get? At half time, I was stood there like laughing manically like a mad person because we were so bad and we were, was it like 4-0 at half time? Yeah, 4-0 at half time. Yeah. And I remember just cackling to myself because I was like, what are we actually watching? This is not football. You know, and that was when I also kind of knew that we knew Ole was on his way out. But I think that that result showed that United are really, you know, derailed. Everything was derailed. And you were nowhere near Liverpool anymore. Last year, you were closer. You were ahead of them. You came second. You got to the European final. They didn't. And now they've got their players back. They're fit and they smashed you. So they will want to play well against United and get the three points. But they're not in the greatest place at the moment. Liverpool's form is a little bit up and down. They've played well. But they are conceding the odd goal here and there. So I do think that Man United could go there, have a good performance and spoil the party. And uh, that would be a small little victory for Manchester United fans. We'll see what happens next week. United play Norwich on Saturday as well. Uh, just a reminder, you can subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts on Apple, Google, Google Spotify, etc. I'm, I'm going so fast, I'm actually tripping over my words here. And you can watch us twice a week on Tuesdays and Fridays on YouTube. So head over to our channel, hit the like button, comment, subscribe. Join the community and the link should be in the description of this episode if you're listening on an audio platform uh, and you can follow us on Twitter too, at underscore Scott Saunders, at underscore Rob underscore B and at PromisedLandMU. We'll be back next week, everyone. Enjoy Easter weekend and uh, we'll see you soon. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.